is only that you look and live. Life is offered unto you, hallelujah. Eternal life thy soul shall have. If you'll only look to him, hallelujah. Look to Jesus who alone can save. Look and live, my brother, live. Look to Jesus now and live. Tis recorded in his word, hallelujah. It is only that you look and live. I will tell you how I came, hallelujah, to Jesus when he made me whole. T'was believing on his name, hallelujah. I trusted and he saved my soul. Look and live, my brother, live. Look to Jesus now and live. Tis recorded in his word, hallelujah. It is only that you look and live. And let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, and once again, as we begin our worship service, we ask that you would help us to sing these songs to your honor and to your glory. Lord, that you would remind us that you are the audience today, and we are the performers. Lord, that you are looking for worship in each one of our lives, and we ask that you would give us the grace and the wisdom to know how to live for you in a life of worship. We ask that you'd be honored and glorified in all that's said and done. In your name we pray. Amen. Brother Franz. All right, now let's turn to 429. 429, when we all get to heaven. 429. Sing the wondrous love of Jesus. Sing his mercy and his grace. In the mansions bright and blessed, He'll prepare for us a place. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. While we walk the pilgrim pathway, clouds will overspread the sky. But when traveling days are over, not a shadow, not a sigh. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. Let us then be true and faithful, trusting, serving every day. Just one glimpse of Him in glory will the toils of life repay. When we all, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. Onward to the prize before us, soon his beauty 
streets of gold when we all get to heaven what a day of rejoicing that will be when we all see jesus we'll sing and shout the victory Amen. And let's do one more song, 345, 345, Grace Greater Than Our Sin, 345. Marvelous grace of our loving Lord, grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt, yonder Calvary's mount outpoured There where the blood of the Lamb was spilled Grace, grace, God's grace Grace that will pardon and cleanse within Grace, grace, God's in the soul with infinite loss grace that is greater yes grace untold points to the refuge the mighty cross grace grace God's grace grace that will pardon and cleanse with stain that we cannot hide what can avail to wash it away look there is flowing a crimson tide whiter than snow you may be today grace 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 God's grace Our 
sin. Amen. And you may be seated. And just before the message this morning, the children are going to come and give us a song. I believe this was the first one you wrote, wasn't it? A little lamb in Jesus' arms. And so listen closely and let it prepare your hearts for the message this morning. your Bibles, if you would, and turn to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 18. And really did not plan to have that song sung today for this message, but I couldn't think of a better way of putting them together. And As I was preparing this message, uh, I believe we may even get somewhat of a series out of this rather than try to rush all the way through everything. 
But if you want to know the title, it's called A Simple Faith. And one of the most difficult things that we do and one of the most difficult things we face is trying to complicate life. How many of you believe life is complicated? Oh, my. I mean, it's just crazy sometimes. And we've often, I, I've often remarked from this pulpit that life is complicated because we refuse simple answers. And I wish there... Well, no, I don't. I'm, I'm glad there's a lot of truth in that statement. Life was meant to be simple. And Jesus is referring to that right here in Matthew chapter 18. And let's, let's read the context here, starting with verse 1. Matthew chapter 18. At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Wow, what a question. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them and said, Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And who shall receive one such little child in my name receiveth me. Now this is Jesus answering a question. You want to be great in the kingdom of heaven. Who is the greatest? Who's the most important in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus calls over a little child. Now, you take a little child, and it says, and he set him, set him in the midst of them. So you got all these disciples gathered around Jesus. They've got big business to take care of. They've got important matters to discuss. They're trying to find out who the greatest in the kingdom of heaven is. And Jesus brings a little child and puts him in the middle of them. Now, I want you just to think a minute of what's going through the mind of that little child as he's looking up into those big, ugly faces of the disciples. I mean, Peter and Andrew and James and John were all fishermen and, and uh, out in the sea and all of those things. And, and uh, none of the disciples were what we would call, uh, with possibly the exception of Judas, or what we would call very educated men and debonair and all of these things. And, and uh, so as they're all standing there and Jesus is sitting there and this little child is just standing there staring around trying to figure out what in the world is going on, he hears Jesus say, except ye be, except ye be converted and become as little children, he shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, you're trying to figure out who the greatest in the kingdom of heaven is. I want you to understand something, that unless you're willing to become just as this little child is here, who's embarrassed and nervous and looking around, unless you're willing to humble yourself like this little child, you don't have to worry about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven because you're not going there. Did you get that? 
said, except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Have you ever been in a situation like like that where, I mean, everybody's looking at you and you don't know what to do? Let me tell you where this little child probably found the most comfort in this whole situation. Don't you think it was looking at Jesus? It's a whole lot easier to put up with the disciples if you weren't looking at them, amen? I mean, they're sitting there trying to figure out and you can see the wheels turning and the smoke rising as we say. Uh, A lot of things going on and yet here's what Jesus is trying to help us understand that faith that will take you to heaven has got to be a simple childlike faith. It cannot be this complex uh, uh, process of back and forth and maybe I'm good enough here and, and how do you feel about your salvation today and all of these things that go on in our hearts and minds as adults. He said, you need to have a simple childlike faith. And I began to think about how we could apply this to our lives and how many different uh, ways and... and uh, Next Sunday morning is Mother's Day. And I believe, unless I I get something changed for me, that I'll, I'll be preaching on the simple faith to be a mother. Because there's a whole world of simple faith that it takes. I mean, you can get as complicated as you want, but if you want to just obey the Bible, it just takes a simple faith to be a mother. Amen? You have to come next week for that one. If we read on through Matthew chapter 18, it's interesting that what Jesus goes right into is offenses and offended people. And that'll be in a couple of weeks. But what I'd like to spend that time on, our time on this morning is a simple faith in the words of Christ. A simple faith. Now, I don't know if we have any lawyers with us here today, but lawyers do not like simple speech. We've often joked about people who get paid by the hour like to take several hours to get one hour's work done because you get paid by the hour, right? Uh, Isn't that the way it works? And uh, I think lawyers like to get paid by the word because why waste a paragraph when five or six pages will say the same thing, amen? And, of course, uh, we're not quite sure where politicians get paid by. That one's just scary to think of, is it not? Uh, But... Jesus wants us to have a simple faith in his words. And we have spent much time here in the history of our church talking about where our Bible has come from and why we can trust the words of this book. 
This is God's revelation for mankind. But I want to illustrate this with a story from the Bible, Mark chapter 4. Let's just turn there if you would. Mark chapter 4. And we're going to start in verse 35 and read right through the end of the chapter. Mark chapter 4. And the same day when the even was come, he saith unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship, so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him, and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose, and rebuked the wind, and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Now this is just a short story out of the Bible and it is put in here for a reason. It is to teach us about the Lord Jesus Christ, who he is and how he worked. And what he expected. Now let's go to verse 35 and let's find Jesus' words there. If you have one of those Bibles where Jesus' words are highlighted in red, you'll find that it says, let us pass over unto the other side. Jesus gave some direction to the apostles, did he not? He said, we are going to pass over unto the other side what he was talking about, the Sea of Galilee. Uh, It's about five miles wide, and we were talking about how dangerous the Mediterranean was, but again, the Sea of Galilee was a small inland sea on top of a mountain. The winds would come down and whip that sea up into a fury in just moments. Jesus says, let us pass over unto the other side. Now, I want you to know that the disciples understood the words of Jesus very clearly and very carefully. And look what it says in verse 26. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. They said, we're going to go over to the other side. Let's get going. It says that they took Jesus... And they went to the other side. I want you to understand, and and I don't want you to get uh, uh, impatient with me, but we got to get the import of what's going on. Jesus made a statement. We're going over to the other side. And I want you to know that the disciples did everything in their power to obey the command or the direction that Jesus had given him with his words till the storm hit. You see, it's easy to obey Jesus when there's no opposition. It's easy to obey and do what the Bible says when everything is just going the way we want. 
let me ask you a question. How many of you have experienced some opposition this week in your life to being obedient to the words of Christ? Would you just raise your hand with mine? And, and, uh, and uh, I think that covers just about every living person here. Um, if you're trying to obey Christ, you're going to encounter opposition. Do we stop obeying Christ because the storm rages? Isn't that what the apostles did? They took their fear, they took their reverence for what Jesus said, they took their their worship of him and his person, and that was fine when the weather was good. That was fine when everything was going the way that it normally does. By the way, could you help me define normal? Uh, I mean, that is an awful word, is it not? And yet we judge everything by what is normal. Uh, In school, normal is the acceptable level of failure. Isn't that true? I mean, if a passing grade is 65, then... That and, and normal is what? Anything above 65, as close as you can get to it without going under it. I mean, it seems that the standard is lowered and lowered and lowered, but that's what normal is. And yet we say, it's a beautiful day. This is the way it ought to be in the spring. But I'll tell you what, if we didn't have a little bit of rain... We'd say, that's not normal. But we, we like it when the sun shines, don't we? we? We like it when everything is going the way we want it to. But when the storm comes up, the disciples stopped worrying, stopped being concerned with obedience to the words of Christ and started being concerned with their own safety. Can I challenge you today? That's what you and I often do. We know what the Bible says. I I wish I had a dollar for every time someone has told me, Pastor, I know what the Bible says, but... Let me tell you, there's no buts when the Bible says something. When Jesus gives his words... You don't need to change his direction regardless of circumstance. Most of us live life under circumstance. When something bad happens, we change everything about us. The disciples stopped trying to get to the other side. They were bailing water. You see... It's a good thing to have the boat in the water. It's a bad thing to have the water in the boat. We all know that, right? Uh, It was too late. It said the waves were washing up over the sides of this ship and had filled the ship full of water. Ships full of water do not displace water. They do not float. They start to sink. 
And while all this is going on, now remember this lake is only five miles across at its widest point. They've stopped trying to get to the ship to the other side because they're worried about all the water in the boat. But in spite of 12 men trying to get the water out of the boat, the boat's still full of water. I just wonder if they had taken that effort and that direction and had just used it to obey the direction that Jesus had given them if they wouldn't have gotten to the other side anyway. I mean, that's just the way I think about it. But they wake Jesus up and they said, don't you care what's going on? You're taking a nap and we're drowning. Now, were they drowning? Had anybody fallen out of the ship yet? Was the water up to their necks and they're going, I've come up for the third time. You got, no, no, none of that had happened yet. Was it going to happen? Well, if they kept trying to bail the water and the water kept getting in the ship, yeah, I mean, all of those things were a very real potential at that point. Jesus arose from his sleep. It says, and rebuke the wind. Now, how many of you have ever yelled at the rain? Oh, come on. No, not now. Did the rain stop? No, it just comes down harder. Jesus rebuked the wind. He yelled at the wind and the wind stopped blowing. He looked at the waves and said, peace be still. And the waves stopped moving. Old Benjamin Franklin had a little trick. He had read this story in the Bible. And he thought he'd be the smart aleck that he was. He took him a cane and hollowed out the center of the cane and filled it full of oil. And he would say, see, I can still the waters. And it would be little, little things beating against the shore, maybe a little ripple in a pond or something. And when no one was looking, he would pour the oil out of the water, out of the cane on top of the water, and it would float, and it would make the water look like it was very still. Everybody go, oh, wow, how did you? Well, he wrote it down somewhere, and somebody put it in a book. He was just playing a trick. But let me tell you what happens when you got waves beating against the shore and you pour a little oil on the water. Guess what happens? The oil goes bye-bye. Little tricks don't work when the ship is full of water. But Jesus asked them a question that apparently he felt he had the right to ask them. And that's where I want us to center this morning. Look what it says here. Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? Jesus said, why are you so afraid of the wind and the waves? Why are you so afraid of the fact that you might perish when I am here? 
Why are you more afraid of the storm than you are of me? That's the question Jesus was asking. And he took care of that real quick. Look at the next verse. And they feared exceedingly. Now Jesus said, why are you so afraid of the waves? Why are you so afraid of the wind? They weren't afraid of the waves or the wind anymore. And it wasn't because there was no waves and wind. Of course, there wasn't. It was because this man standing in the boat had told the wind to be quiet and it stopped blowing. He had told the waves to stop crashing and the waves laid down and were still. And this, in just one little story, is a picture, I believe, an illustration, a living illustration that was actually lived in the lives of the apostles for you and I to see and understand what Jesus means when he says, except you become, except you be converted and become as little children. Unless you humble yourself like that little child, you're not going to see heaven. If you want to be great in heaven, humble yourself and become like a little child. Now, that's not what we hear from the world, is it? Oh, you got to self-actualization. Boy, I'm having problems enunciating today. Be patient with me, please. Self-esteem. I get so sick of hearing about self-esteem. We do not need to feel good about things we ought not feel good about. We need to feel bad about things we ought to feel bad about. I mean, that's part of the key to what biblical repentance is. It says, godly sorrow worketh repentance unto salvation. Now, that's feeling bad about things the way God feels bad about things. That's what sorrow is. Sorrow is feeling badly, feeling feeling grief and, and mourning over things. Godly sorrow would be doing that, feeling those things the way God feels those things. Do you think God is upset at your sin because it hurts Him? How many of you have ever tried to do something and had someone just directly oppose you? I don't care what you say, I'm going to do it my way. And you get all injured and turned out and upset and all these different things. That's not the God of the Bible. He doesn't get upset because you broke his rules. Sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth what? Death. God gets upset about our sin because it destroys people's lives. God gets upset about sin because of the destruction that it brings. There's not a one of us that are in adulthood today that could not think about things that we have allowed in our lives we knew were wrong. And it still brings grief and pain to our hearts today to know that we participated in those events. Isn't that true? 
Sometimes we do things that cannot be undone. And there's nothing you will ever do that will change. I remember being taught when I was a little child, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. No, bones heal. But it's that hurt that we carry way down deep inside that stays with us all life long, doesn't it? Unless we bring it to Jesus. You see, Jesus had given some direction here. He said, let us pass over to the other side. Disciples said, that's what you want to do? That's what we will do. Till the storm came up. Then the disciples stopped trying to be obedient to Jesus' words, stopped worrying about everything that Jesus had said. They allowed the storm to control and to absorb their fears and to become the object of what they were afraid of. Jesus said, let me fix that for you. Wind be still, waves lay down. He said, wait a minute, we got something in this boat that's a whole lot more powerful than what almost took our lives. I think we need to be more afraid of that person right there standing in our boat than we do anything else. This is what the fear of the Lord is. It's not this idea that we should sit there and, of course, we, we spend a lot of time with history. They call the Quakers the Quakers because they would contemplate the greatness of God to the point to where they physically just quaked in their seats. That was just part of their tradition. Now, I'm not really against that in and of itself. But just because you can do that doesn't mean you're close to God at all. And another group called Shakers. Now, if you can tell me what the difference between quaking and shaking is, I'd like to know at the end of the service. Uh, Shaker Furniture, it was actually a religious group, much like the Quakers. I'll tell you what the difference actually was. It was a different leader is what the difference was. They didn't want to be known like the Quakers, so they called themselves Shakers. (coughs) But we need, to understand who Jesus is a little more than we do. But just because you can shake and quake doesn't mean that you know who Jesus is. It's something that has to happen in your heart. Amen? I want to ask you a question this morning. When was the last time you were more afraid of disobeying what was written in this book than you were at upsetting a family member. Boy, it got quiet quick. When was the last time you were more afraid of disobeying something in this book than you were at offending someone you work with? When was the last time... 
You were afraid enough of what was said in this book, what was written down in this book, that you looked yourself in the face and said, no, I'm not going to do that, even though I want to do that, because the Bible says no. Is this not that simple childlike faith that Jesus is talking about? That I would trust what is written down in my Bible more than what I can perceive with my human sensory perception? That I would not trust what is written down in my Bible more than I would trust my friends and my peers? that I would not trust what is in this Bible more than I would the circumstances and the storms of life, that I could be more afraid of the person of Jesus Christ and his judgment than I would the scorn of those that are gathered around me. There are many places in this world where you can still give your life for the cause of Jesus Christ. I praise God that I don't live there. I'm thankful for the freedom that we have here in this country to enjoy. But if we were to lose our freedom, would you still be a Christian? You see, When Jesus was talking about being converted, he's talking about being changed. How many of you have ever tried to change yourself? Does it work? Well, maybe for a little while. But if it only works for a little while, that's really not working. You know, I used to be a mechanic. If the engine only ran a little while... That was still considered failure. It's supposed to run all the time. What has Jesus told us to do in this book? Are we simply believing what the Bible says? Or are we living that complex life of changing the words of the Bible so that they tend to agree with us more than we do with them. You see, it is the job of most religions to find something to prove that their religion is good and viable. That's why everybody holds up a Bible and says, I believe what the Bible says. I mean, even the religion of Islam claims to believe what the Bible says. Until you show them a verse that contradicts what Muhammad wrote down, then he said, oh, that part doesn't belong there. Um, But I know a lot of people who call themselves Christians. You see, the Bible says that you ought to live a clean, pure life. Well, I know what the Bible says, but God understands. Oh, yeah, he does. That's why he sent Jesus to the cross, because he understands sin. But he doesn't expect you to live in sin and be called his child. I was running errands and 
listening to the talk radio and some guy got on there with one of those guys and was talking about how things need to be right and the talk show host said, yeah, but you guys were living in sin before you got married, weren't you? He said, well, yeah, but I just wanted her to make sure that she loved me and I loved her. And then half a paragraph later, he claims to be a preacher. I'm sitting here going, well, look, well, wait a minute. Where I come from, you lose your ordination for stuff like that. In fact, you can't be ordained until after your life has been proved to a certain degree. In fact, you're supposed to be married first. And I'm sitting here scratching my head and this guy is actually explaining Bible verses and on, on this talk show. And not a Christian talk show. I think it was, Han- it was Hannity's talk show. And he was explaining Bible verses and talking about all of this stuff and then claiming to be a preacher when he had been living together with his now wife without the aid of marriage for who knows how long before they got married. You see, that's not faith. Faith is believing what the Bible says. You know what? The Bible still calls sin, sin. It calls sin as reason. We've already been over that. But many of us allow sin into our lives because we're more afraid of the storm than we are of the Savior. It's easy for little children to keep priorities straight. You know why? Because they're only able to handle one priority at a time. You have to become a teenager to be able to do more than one thing at a time. I mean, our whole society, multitasking. Can I give you a real working definition of multitasking? That is doing several different things unwell all at the same time. You cannot do anything. I mean, I don't know. Maybe there's someone out here that is just so talented. I'll tell you what. My wife says, you got a one-track mind. It's only one thing at a time. Yeah. That's childish. But at least I get it done. And there's only one thing that really counts in your life and in my life. That's serving the Savior. And yet on Sunday morning, I know we have people sitting right here in this room that have never trusted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Let me read you 1 John 3, 23. It says, And this is His commandment, that we should believe on the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as He gave us commandment. And this is His commandment, that we should believe on the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as He gave us commandment. Such a simple verse. But it's so complicated to explain that to people today. Because everybody believes on Jesus. Wait a minute. If you believe on Jesus the way the Bible says, then you're going to love one another 
because the love of Jesus Christ is living inside of you. Amen? Now, that loving one another thing is pretty tough, is it not? Because our human nature just doesn't want to get along with other people's human nature. Uh, we look at other people and we want to give up and say, I, I'm tired, I, I've tried it time and time again, I just give up. Aren't you glad Jesus didn't give up on you? Well, then why are we giving up on others? Well, let's, let's get back to that childlike faith, amen? What does the Word of God command us? What does Jesus tell us that we ought to do? Number one, you ought to be saved. That's number one. Without that, nothing else matters. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what comes after salvation? Baptism. You say, I could never do that. Oh, it's not hard. But you got to do it the Bible way. Amen? And you say, well, what do you do? Well, I like to meet with a person before I baptize because I want to explain. I want to make sure. Because so many times we've had come, people come and want to talk about baptism and they don't know they're saved. If you don't know you're saved, you have no reason to be baptized. Baptism is your public identification with the Savior. You need to be baptized after you're saved. Well, guess what happens after you're saved? You're supposed to serve Jesus in his church. You see, you get into the church by being baptized. Amen? Is this a Baptist church this morning? I mean, we believe in baptism because the Bible says so. And when you get baptized, you identify with Jesus and his church. And we've had, I can't tell you how many people have come and said, Pastor, uh, I want to be baptized. Well, are you saved? No. Well, let's get that taken care of first. And then, okay, now I'm saved. Can I be baptized? Well, I always get nervous when somebody's like that. Because you know what normally happens? They get baptized and then they disappear. That's not what baptism is about. Baptism is the prelude to service. Amen? And can I just say this? If you don't show up, you can't serve. Is that terrible? I know I'm the meanest pastor in the world, right? I tried to explain that to another pastor and he didn't get the joke at all, but the simple truth of the matter is if you're not here, you can't serve. The Bible says that we need to fellowship one with another. How many of you liked the spaghetti dinner the other night? You want to do that again sometime? We'll have to wait until the Newburgers come back. And when they come back, we'll do spaghetti dinner again, all right? They, they were kind of upset. Pastor, you, you did that after we left. By the way, he called me last night. They're doing very well and getting the kinks worked out of the motorhome. And, and, and uh, living in a motorhome 
He said, Preacher, this is different. I said, I warned you. But uh, they're, they're settling in well, and, and they're, they're making some real progress. You keep them in prayer if you would. The Bible tells us many things. And a simple, childlike faith just means I do what the Bible says. Is that so tough? No. But it's not easy, is it? Because we got all of these things fighting against us. And so what we need to do is we need to start that weeding out process and get rid of those things that keep us from simply being obedient to the Word of God. I remember Ted Monsoor, one of the first things he said, he said, this is before he was married to Sharon and all of those things, he said, your family, Pastor, it's, it's just like little house on the prairie. If you came during the week, you might really agree with him. Little bare feet kids running around the building. I can't. You would think they lived out in the country, not in the city. But the simple truth of the matter is, I want my kid's life to be simple. Have you tried to watch any of these? Well, I hope you haven't, but I've picked up bits and pieces of these new cartoons they show the kids. They're not for children. They're all adult situations. I despise that. Little children don't need to know about hidden agendas. Little children don't need to know about scheming and plotting and planning. Why can't things just be simple for our little children? And and by the way, Jesus said, that's how I want your faith. I always get nervous when I hear people talking about, oh, they're playing mind games. I've often joked about that is... There's one easy way not to have anybody play mind games with you. Let's get rid of your mind. You say, well, come on. No, if you give your thought processes to the Lord Jesus Christ, then nobody else can play with them. And that's how you get protected. Amen? If we would just grab a hold of the things of God's Word, salvation, baptism, serving God in the local church, so many other of life's decisions would all be made for you. When the storm kicks up, when the wind is blowing and when the waves are coming into the boat, and you're concerned as to whether you're going to make it or not, I want to challenge you to stay obedient to Christ and stop worrying about yourself. Because if he said, let's go to the other side, guess where you're going? You're going to make it to the other side. If he has to turn that boat into a submarine to get it done, you're you're going to get to the other side. Because when Jesus says something, you can trust him. 
And if you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven, you got to stop trusting you and start trusting him. You see, God's word says a lot of things, and that's what I want us to do over the next... I don't know how long this is going to go. I've, I've got like six or eight sermons in my head right now, and we'll just see how far the Lord will take us through this thing as we look at different parts of your life that you can apply this simple faith to. But a simple faith in the words of God. Jesus said that for God... So loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. How many of you have doubted your salvation? Most people have. I've doubted mine. Why? because I put my emphasis on what I was feeling and what I was thinking and took it off of the Savior and his words. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. If you can't settle your salvation, you can't settle anything else. Once you're saved, you need to be baptized. Then you need to serve God in his church. And as you do those things, just in a simple childlike faith, you're going to see God give you the direction for the rest of your life that you need. You're going to see God answer those questions. People love to hammer on this book called the Bible. They love to criticize it. They love to tell you it's full of contradictions. And yet, this book still is here. They are not. I love the story of Voltaire. How many of you remember the story of the great French philosopher Voltaire? How many of you even knew who he was before he mentioned his name? Most people don't. But in his day, he was one of the most famous men in the European world. He had written books, hundreds of them on society without God. He had a mansion in Switzerland that he lived in and would send his messages to all of the world. And he said, by my, the end of my lifetime, people will throw away their Bibles and be reading Voltaire. In the very room where he made that statement, the Swiss Bible Society bought his mansion and put up a printing press to print Bibles. I just love the way God does things. I'm going to believe this book. You know, people have tried to remove God from public domain. Uh, now, I was not alive before 1962, but I have a lot of friends that were. 
and they'll all testify without exception. It was better back then than it is today. We have not improved. You see, when you remove God, what are you going to put in his place? I'll tell you what you'll put in his place. Little g, little o, little d. And one won't be enough, so you'll get more than that. You'll have gods. And we worship the state, and we worship this, and we worship people, and uh, I know the royals got married or whatever. I don't care. I hope they have a nice marriage. I hope things turn out much better for them than it did for his mother. But let me tell you, the only hope they have is obeying what's written in this book. And I wish they had more of a testimony that they cared more about what's in this book than they do about all the other things. Because it only leads to heartache when you turn away from this book. Can we? Here at Open Door Bible Baptist Church, ask God to give us that simple childlike faith to just obey what the Bible says. You say, why does it, I have, why do I have to come to church? Because Jesus said so, that's why. And by the way, those of you that have been around a while, isn't it better to be here than to be anywhere else? Be where you need to be. The Bible says so. Serve God his way. The Bible says so. Be saved God's way. The Bible says so. Be baptized God's way. The Bible says so. Say that's childish. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you and we ask that you would allow us, that you would give us, that you would help us to understand what it means to have that simple childlike faith. Lord, we ask that you would do your work in each heart. We ask for those that are here today and are not saved. Lord, my, my first thing to pray for is that today would be the day that they would just break loose and trust Jesus Christ. And Lord, if they can't, do that today. Would, would you just use this time to move them one step closer? We pray for others that are here that need to be obedient to you in many other areas of their life more than I could ever name or describe from this pulpit in a single service. Yet the Holy Spirit of God has freedom to speak to each one in the way that he would choose. And Lord, we ask that we would choose to worship you in that simple childlike faith of just being obedient to your word. In your name we pray, amen. Let's stand together, the hymn of invitation, 300 and...